Whole Bible Church, what a joy it is to be worshiping together again, and I've said it before, and I will say it again, and most likely again and again, um, what we're doing right now, um, do not take for granted. Do not take it for granted. The gathering of the saints is a little taste of heaven. And do not forsake meeting together. Those of you watching online right now, we miss you and I exhort you to be back in person ASAP that you can continue to stir one another up in love to good deeds and you yourself can be stirred up by your brothers and sisters in Christ here by the Spirit of God moving for the Word of God for the glory of God. Amen? Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 We're looking at verses 34 to 40 tonight. If you do not have a copy of God's word, the ushers are coming forward right now. Make sure you put your hand up really nice and high. Not the side stuff down here. There's too many people. You just put your hand up real nice and high, and our ushers are coming to put a copy of God's word in your lap. And it is on page 483 in those Bibles that are being handed out. And if you don't have a Bible at home, then please take that as our gift to you so you can continue to study and to grow in God's word at home. Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40. Well, if you remember from the last couple weeks, we launched into this ministry year by the grace of God, and the theme for this ministry year was to be strong and courageous. Taken from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, that is our theme verse for the year, and so everything we're going to do by the grace of God this year, every message that will be preached, every ministry that happens in this church is going to outflow from that theme to be strong and courageous. Not in ourselves, we can get puffed up, put your courage in yourself, get a little strong. No, 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 no. Be strong and courageous in your faith in the Lord. Everyone say, there's only one hero of the story. Go. And it's not you or me. Love that follow up. Uh huh. Be strong and courageous in our faith. And so, this opening series this year, it's lasting, Lord willing, three weeks. We started it last week, is to be strong and courageous in our convictions in our convictions. And the purpose of this three week mini series that we kicked off last week is to bring clarity. Clarity, foundational, convictional clarity to the convictions that Jesus has commanded his church to uphold in his power if it is to stay faithful in glorifying him and have his blessing upon it. If I could sum up this series right now, we're in first things first. First things first. You've heard that expression before. These are the first things first of the church of Jesus Christ by his command for his glory. First things first. And we saw the first conviction that we must hold to last week that he's given us one mission. The church has one purpose. The church has one mission. And it is the great commission, not the great suggestion Not the great idea, unless you have a better one, and it is to what? Make disciples. Say that with me. Make disciples. disciples. There it is. The one mission of the church. And you see, I hope you saw this when you walked up here. You know when you see something enough and you're you're in front of it enough, you can kind of tend to gloss over it? Well, there's a banner at the top of the stairs when you came in tonight, and it And it's not just to block those doors off. It's actually there the first thing that you see. And you know what that is? It's our mission statement. It's our mission statement on that banner. And my prayer and our prayer as elders is that every time you come up, you are reminded of the mission. Why do we gather? To go. That's why. Here's the mission statement right here. You see it on our website. You'll see it on pretty much everything we put out. To glorify God, God's glory, not our own, first things first, through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, making disciples, those people who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are increasingly growing in their knowledge of God's word and obedience to the lifestyle it requires in his power. That's a disciple. 
In every part of every ministry, there is the same mission. One disciple. And so if we are committed to making disciples, then our goal cannot simply be the transmission of information. The goal is transformation. The goal is transformation, not simply information. It is the worst possible thing in the world. If our goal is, hey, I'm going to get up here and preach and just fill you with a bunch of information and you don't need to do anything with it. Mm -mm. That's not the purpose for which we are to proclaim God's word, whether it's kids ministry, youth ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, small group ministry, or here on Saturday nights. The purpose is not simply information. It is transformation. Make disciples. And I want you to notice this little second part of this mission statement. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. First conviction, only the mission. But then it says, in the spirit of the great commandment. Now that's just not a tag on to that. Jesus doesn't do random. Can we agree? Jesus doesn't do random. And so we say, in the spirit of the great commandment. Why is that so crucial and essential as a conviction to this church if we're going to stay faithful on mission? Because the great commandment must be the motive. The motive for and the heart that drives the mission. If the great commandment's missing, the mission falters. And compromise is inevitable. See, <clears throat> the great commandment is the commandment that faithfulness to every other command in Scripture. Kind of a big deal. The great commandment is the commandment that all 613 Old Testament commandments, not to mention all the ones in the New Testament, hang upon. That's a big deal. That's why it's crucial, first things first, to have as a conviction of a, of a church. Now, what is the commandment? We'll see it today. The second conviction we must cling to is to love. To love. To love God and to love others. And what we're going to see today is that it takes strong and courageous faith in Jesus if we are to love like Jesus. I'll say it again. It takes strong and courageous faith in Jesus if we are to love like Jesus. So let me ask you a question. What's your motive? What's your motive for why you're making disciples? What's your motive for why you're serving? What's your motive for why you're parenting? What's your motive for why you're working in the workplace that you do? What's your motive in your marriage? What's your motive in your witness? See, here's the problem that you and I face. And it's a big one. It's a very big one. Instead of being motivated, let's just be honest and let the word of God do the work in our hearts. Instead of being motivated by a growing love for God and others, our motive becomes a love for self so often and a love for the world. Don't we just love ourselves so much? Have you ever noticed that? We love ourselves so much. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul describes the increasing godliness, godlessness that will happen in the last days, do you know what the first descriptor is? A love for self. And then... In verses 2 to 5, he unpacks the result. What's the result? You say, wait a second, this world tells me I can love myself. Love yourself more and just pamper yourself and make sure you're number one in your life. Oh, that's the way to go. And you know what God says? As it gets closer to Christ's return, that godless attitude will increase. Where it's all about you and I. And here's the result. You say, what's so bad about that? 
Oh, let's just let the word of God speak. 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. For people will be lovers of self. There's the umbrella term. And let's unpack what happens when we love ourselves, shall we? Uh, Lovers of money. Proud. Pride. Arrogant. Abusive. Because you can't stand to not get your way. Here's another one. Disobedient to their parents. Hey, students and children in this room, two to fives, I'm so glad you're in this, cl- in this session right now. You know why? Because this is a word of the Lord for you. Do you know obedience to your parents, kids? Eyes up here. Eyes up here, kids. Eyes up here. I love seeing your eyes. Hope, kids, you rock. Hope, youth, you rock. But here's the reality. Did you know disobedience to your parents is the sin of absolute godlessness? Talking back to your parents? Dishonoring them? Do you know what God looks at when he sees that? You know what he sees? He's like, I I gave them there for your good. I gave you those parents for your good. Don't slap my hand away. It's a big deal to God. Is it to you, guys? It shows a love for self over a love for the Lord. Here's here's more. Here's more. It just keeps going. It's deadly. Ungrateful. There's no gratitude in your life. There's no thanks in your life. When someone does something, you're just like, there's no thanks. Why? Because you're like, I deserve it. I'm, I'm full of myself. So of course they should give that to me. So there goes the gratitude. For big or small things. Yeah, whatever thing. Yeah, good. Here's another one. Um, unholy, that is disobedient to scripture. Heartless. Ugh unappeasable because you always want more for yourself. Nothing or no one is ever good enough. Slanderous because you need to make yourself feel better so you're going to run someone else down because of your love for self. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. There's pride, again, just oozing out of your life. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Wow. You think the great commandment is a big deal to God? And why it needs to be a... There's no faithfulness to the mission here with that attitude. See, the great commandment, what we need to see right here, loved ones, why this is a crucial text, the great commandment is the only enduring motivation for the great commission. The great commandment is the only enduring motivation to stay faithful on the great commission. And here's our big idea for the text today. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. If you get nothing else, get this, loved ones. To stay faithful on mission, our motive must be love. That's it. To stay faithful on mission, our motive must be love. We just talked about, we just looked at from the authority of God's word. I didn't make that stuff up. We just looked at the authority of God's word to tell us what happens when it's a love for self instead of a love for God and others. It has to be love. And so what is your motive? What is your motive? Ask yourself that question again and again and again. See, Jesus is going right after the heart in this text today. And here it is in the final week of his ministry, three days before his crucifixion. Three days before his crucifixion, he's in Jerusalem teaching on the kingdom of God and the tension in Jerusalem is mounting. Groups of religious leaders are trying to discredit and to trap Jesus to bring him to trial and to kill him. And here in the text, we see three truths, loved ones, that we must believe and cling to as convictions in this church, in his power, and live out increasingly in dependence on the Spirit if we're to stay faithful to the mission Jesus has entrusted us with. Everything in the mission depends on this. 
tune in. Pens ready. Let's go. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Let's go. The great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's dive in, Hope. Here we go. The motive for our mission must be love for God above all. This is where it starts. And you notice, why does he have those dots on his outline? This is a different kind of outline. The entire outline will comprise one sentence when you're done. So if you're writing notes, you'll be able to piece together the whole outline with that intro statement, and it's one sentence that is the whole theme of the text. Let's write it down. The motive for our mission must be love for God above all. Question, Jesus wants all of you devoted to him. Here it is. Is he your greatest love? Just think before you answer. Careful. Is he your greatest love? Let's go back to the text, verse 34 to 36. Let's read. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So right here, we're introduced to two different groups, religious leaders, in verse 34. Did you catch it? Go back to the text. The first one is the Pharisees. These are a religious group, and actually the Greek word for Pharisee means Pharisaos, which means separatist or purist from sin. We got any separatists in the room? Praise the Lord you didn't put your hand up, huh? <laughs> There's no separatists in this room, but the Pharisees were convinced they were the separatists. One set apart from sin. Talk about a lover of self. Eh? See what it does? Swollen with conceit. So you can't even see your true state. They were considered the keepers of the law. And there's about 6,000 of them at this time. And they had great influence with the common people. And because they loved themselves so much, they sought the praise of people all the time. It's what they did. The praise of people by observing external rituals of fasting and prayer. They would choose the most public places to pray these eloquent prayers so that everyone would be like, ooh, ah, because they love themselves and the praise of man, swollen with pride. And they prided themselves on their works to uphold the law, the Old Testament law. But here was another issue. They added legalistic rules that weren't in scripture, but they came up with and equated them with the same authority as God's word. And they were just laying them on the people. Legalism was the order of the day. Man-made rules. And the second group, did you see it in verse 34? Go back to the text. First one was the Pharisees. Second group we're introduced to here is the Sadducees. These were a religious group. They were wealthy members of the highest class of society, and they had political power. Now, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they didn't like each other. They actually couldn't stand each other. Why? Because the Sadducees were in with the Roman government. They had political power. And the Pharisees hated the rule of the Roman government. They wanted nothing more than to oust the Roman government. So they didn't like the Sadducees for being in with the Roman government. But they're united in one thing. You know what that was? Their hatred of Jesus. They were united in one thing. Their opposition and hatred against Jesus. So when the Pharisees, notice the text, when the Pharisees heard Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, how do you do that? In a debate about marriage, will you be married in heaven? 22 to 33, just answered that in the previous verses. They gather together now. The Pharisees are like, okay, all right, huddle up, huddle up. Those Sadducees are embarrassed. This is our chance to gain some serious glory points with the people. 
and make them look bad. So they huddle up to take a crack at trapping Jesus. And then verse 35, did you see the strategy? Their strategy here, they send a lawyer. Man, I would not want to be that guy. A lawyer, a lawyer was an expert on the Old Testament in its explanation and application. So he's going up against Jesus who uh, wrote the book. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, send the lawyer, get him. We're going to get him now. That guy's in over his head. To test him, that is to maliciously. Now, the Old Testament law, let's just be really clear, the Old Testament law that he's testing him on was the law that God gave to Moses in the wilderness of how God's people were to live in right relationship with him and one another. And it included, the Old Testament law included the Ten Commandments, but it also included 613 other commandments. If you read Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy, it's got 600, that's called the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. It's got 613 commands summed up in the ten. And then what's really cool is those 10 are summed up in these two, which is amazing. That's why everything depends on it. 613 other commands. And we see in verse 36, go back to the text. The lawyer asked Jesus, all right, let's get them. Which of all these commandments is the greatest? The word greatest there is megos in the Greek. And it means the one of central importance, the one that exceeds all the others. The Pharisees are ready to declare, if Jesus says, oh, it's to keep the Sabbath. We do that. They're ready to declare. We do that. We do that. We do that. And then what? Do you know what Jesus does? He flips everything on their head. Go back to the text, 37, 38. I just love the Savior's response here. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, here's the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus answers them straight out of Deuteronomy 6.5. He goes back to the law. Straight out of there. And out of all the commandments, the greatest commandment, notice he says, Pharisees, the greatest commandment is not some external action. The greatest commandment is not some external ritual you try to put on. The greatest commandment is not your performance. It is your affection for me. How many times do we need to remember that? How many of us, even right now in this room, are trying to work and work and work and work and work and work to earn favor with the Lord? It can't happen. It won't happen. God wants our affection, not our performance. He says, you give me your heart over your hand. Let's let that sit there for a moment. It is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind. And Mark 12, 30, which is the parallel passage for this, includes strength as well. If I could sum it up, it means every part of us. Inward, outward, our complete being, all we are and all we have is to be of total devotion to the Lord. Total devotion. You may, you may say this. Well, sure, I get it. I mean, I, I do that. Like, I love the Lord. He's first. I get it. I, I, I love the Lord. Okay, okay, just time out. We're just going to break down what this command actually means. I'm going to go slowly to allow the Holy Spirit just to let the work of the Word of God do its thing in our hearts. Watch this. Examine our hearts. Just come under the word right now. Here's what it means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ready? It means every thought you have is an expression of your love to God. Did anybody get past the first one? Every thought of every second that you have. Here's here's the next one. Every feeling that you have is to be an expression of your love for God. How's the feelings department going? Ouch, huh? I get it. Me too. We're in this together, loved ones. It means this. Every desire that you have, every desire in your heart is an expression of your love for the Lord. That means... No envy ever. 
No jealousy, ever. No desire for vengeance, ever. You with me? You with me still? Let's move on, okay? Let's keep going. It means everything we do and say in every second of our lives will be an expression of our love for God. And we will love nothing or no one else more than him. He will be our first love at all times, every second of our lives. Now just let the Holy Spirit do his work. Just look at your past week. Just take the week. Your thoughts you've had, the conversations you've spoken in, the tones you've used. Parents, the tones you've used with your children. The actions we've done. How's it going? Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does anyone else in this room besides me right now see our desperate need for a savior? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. See, Jesus wants all of you devoted to him. Is he your first love, really? Is he? Is that shown by your, what you're thinking, even right now? If Jesus says, now, now you, I don't know about you, you may say this, well, if Jesus says that it's the greatest command and the one that is central to him being exalted and preeminent in all things, and the one that is essential for us staying faithful on mission, then we must be clear on what he means by love. Don't we live in a culture that has just twisted that idea of love? Anyone else? Totally. Just twisting. What is love? What's he talking about? Go back to 37 and we'll see it. He says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. Okay, you'll see it on the screen. Write this down. This is time for courageous clarity, loved ones, right now. The Greek word for love is agapao. You want to say that with me? Agapao. There you go. You just got a Greek lesson. Come on. Agapao. And when it's, context is key when you interpret scripture, loved ones. Let's get a right hermeneutic here. When it's used of loving God, going vertical, here's what it means. To take pleasure in God and to prize him above all other things. Context is key. And we'll see why in a moment. To take pleasure in God and that's love. Lived out. It means, let's break it down. We are unwilling to do something without him. Oh, are you unwilling? How unwilling are you to do something without the Lord? How many things did we just go about this past week? Just unwilling to do it with the Lord. I don't even think twice. I just go do my own thing. There's no prayer. There's no seeking his face. There's nothing. I just, it means agapal love, pleasure in God, love for him above all, means I'm not willing to do a thing without him. I'm praying before work. I'm praying before I parent. I'm praying with myself. I'm asking him to fill me. I don't want to do it without him because it's going to go bad. There's a love for the Lord. I don't want to think a thought without him because my thoughts are going to be towards me or the idols of this world. And so how is this shown? Two ways. This is what this Greek word means, unpack. Number one, it means it's shown through affectionate reverence for him. Affectionate reverence. It means by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are growing in a fear of the Lord through a deepening love, honor, desire for, and hunger for him. Here's what this means. An affectionate reverence. It means there's an increasing longing for his presence. At all, in all things, in the details. Now, there's this, seems to be this confusion out there saying God's not into details. Let me just ask you a question. You don't think God cares about all the little details? Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? And you're like, well, I haven't made it through it. Yeah, you know why? Because it's all the details. 
God's very detail-oriented. He cares about the details. He wants in, and a proper response of reverence and love for him invites him, always. It's an increasing longing for his holiness in our lives. We're increasingly dissatisfied with the sin in our lives, and it grieves us for his power, for his grace, for his purity in and through your life. Here's what it means. Affectionate reverence for God means we're not approaching him with indifference or flippancy. We're not approaching God with indifference, being like, hey, big man upstairs, how are ya? Okay, time out. You're like, but God's a father. Yes, God is our father if we are saved in Jesus Christ. No question. Hey, loved ones, but please don't forget he's also your king. He is your king. He is the Lord Almighty, and he deserves our reverence. Here's what also it means. Affectionate reverence means we grow in loving what God loves, in valuing what God values in our homes, kids, in our classrooms, in how we respect the authority in those classrooms, even if our classmates are not. How we don't laugh at those jokes when the kid's getting bullied. How we stand up for those who have no voice. That's what God loves. And if we're growing in reverence for him, so will we increasingly. It means I grow in loving what God loves and valuing what he values in the workplace. I'm not taking longer lunch breaks. That's stealing. I'm not taking supplies that aren't mine to take. I'm not gossiping at the water cooler because there's a reverence for the Lord a desire to honor him. It means I love what he loves and value what he values in my speech. I'm not negative and grumbling and complaining. I'm not gossiping and slandering about what God in his sovereignty has appointed. I grow in loving what he loves and valuing what he values in the church, the convictions he says to hold to. We stand firm on. Here's another one. Affectionate reverence means, oh, I forget to sum it up. Jesus is increasingly beautiful to you and not simply useful. Oh, come on. Hey, can I ask you a question, loved ones? Remember, if you're saved in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But let's get evaluating our hearts right now. When you approach Jesus, when I approach Jesus... Is it mainly out of business or pleasure? Do we mainly come to him and say, God, I need this. Please give me this. Please give me this. Please give me this. And say, instead of saying, Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. And I just want to abide in your presence and know you more and love you more and be changed into your image more. How are you approaching God? And yes, we're called to ask for things. But listen, loved ones. We are called to go after the heart of God before the hand of God. The danger with simply going after the hand of God, give me this, give me that, provide this, provide that. The danger in only going after the hand of God is you miss the heart of God. You miss him. How's your prayer life? How are you mainly approaching him? Is Jesus beautiful to you or just useful? It is essential. This is essential to get because you and I will always reverence someone or something. We were made for that. And the truth is, what you reverence will be what you look like. What we reverence as a church is what we will look like. If we reverence the world and take on its attitudes and values and priorities, we will look like it. If we reverence the Lord, Honoring what he honors, holding fast to what he says, loving him increasingly with an affectionate reverence, we will look like him increasingly in our conduct and in our speech. Secondly is this, agapao, love the Lord your God, affectionate reverence from him, and then from the overflow of that is a prompt obedience to him. A prompt obedience 
not defensiveness. When maybe even tonight, some of you are struggling with the defensiveness. Yeah, you don't know my situation. Really, I, you got to take that up with God. This isn't going to change. It's a prompt obedience to him. It's not getting defensive when you hear his word, when it is preached, or when someone, a loving brother or sister, gives you counsel from God's word. You're not quick to get defensive. There's a prompt obedience to the word of God through his power in us as Holy Spirit exposes our hearts as the word of God living and active cuts to the heart and shows the areas where we are walking in sin. See, here's what we have to remember. You see it on the screen. Write it down, loved ones. True obedience flows out of a response of love to God, not a legalistic requirement to keep for him. I'll say it again. True obedience Obedience that God loves always must flow out of a love for God instead of a legalistic requirement to keep from. Otherwise, the Pharisees would have been number one in his books. It's out of love I do this. I don't do this to earn this from him. I don't do this to try to save myself. I don't do this because he's up there and ready to smack me. Listen, if I'm saved in Christ, I do it because I love him. He's my king. He's my father. He's my, and the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Yes, that's why I obey him. Because there's life and there's his joy and there's his presence and the intimacy that can only be found through that. This is where the Pharisees had it wrong. And God says our, our obedience to his word is the mark of our love for him. Remember what he said in John 14, 23? Here, Jesus says this. If anyone loves me, what's the mark of love? He will keep my word. He'll obey me. We can spout a lot of things about love. Yeah, I totally love God. Are you obeying him? Promptly? Because delayed obedience, hey, loved ones, eyes up here for a second. I love the fact you're taking so many notes. So good. But hey, delayed obedience is just disobedience. Where's that for you right now? Where are you delaying it? Where are you not walking in it? Here's where it all starts. Pray, Lord, help me love you more. Make that your number one prayer every day. Lord, help me to love you more than my sin, than myself, than even my family and my job and the idols I try to put in your place. Help me to love. That's where it all starts. And as we obey by the power of the Holy Spirit, we grow in our love for him. As we grow in our love for him, we obey him. It's a cycle. The motive for a mission must be love for God above all. Secondly, and for others as yourself. And for others as yourself. Look at verse 37 to 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus commands right here, after a total devotion to God, the overflow of that is now horizontal. We got the vertical love, now the horizontal, where Jesus commands a constant affection for others. And the application for us, the takeaway is this, will you love them as yourself? See, Jesus gives the second commandment, overflows from the first one, to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, here's the love again. Context is key. We talked about what agapao, love, means when in relation to God. Now it's the same word, only used in relation to humans, one another. We're not called to reverence other people. Here's what it means. Write this down. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Actively choosing to do what the Lord prefers, not what you prefer, not what I prefer, what the Lord prefers in the life of another by his power and direction. There it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is choosing like Jesus did perfectly during his life here on earth, his will and obeying his power in word and thought and action. You know what loving your neighbor as yourself can be summed up as? Choosing the Jesus way. Choosing the Jesus way. And you say, okay, who's my neighbor? Is it just the people who live next door? Is it the next person in the next cubicle? Here, here's what it means. Neighbor just means, the Greek word just means nearby. That's amazing. 
nearby. Any other person who is near you, irrespective of age, gender, race, religion, with whom we meet, live, or have a chance to meet. You know what that neighbor means? Anyone who's nearby. Whether you've got lots in common with them or whether you don't. Anyone nearby. Turn to the person next to you right now and say, you're my neighbor. Go. You're my neighbor. And then go the other way and do the same thing. Everybody's nearby. Yes. Now we're starting to get it. Now I want you to notice verse 39, church, go back to the text. You notice what it says? And a second is like it. You shall love. Don't miss it. The you shall is an active imperative. Notice, it means it's ongoing. Notice there's no, there's no superscript number here that says you shall unless they hurt you. Mm. You shall unless you're in a rush. You shall unless you don't feel like it. No, it's an active imperative. There's no exceptions. No matter if, and let's just let the word of God sit here before we get defensive. No matter if you're sick. No matter if you're tired. And I'm, I'm convinced one of the greatest ways we could grow in our love for the Lord and others is simply to go to bed. And judging by your laughs, you're like, amen. <laughs> like, seriously. Here's another one. You shall love the Lord your God and others as yourself when you're hungry. How many arguments? We just lambaste our family or other people. I'm like, I'm just hungry. I'm just hungry. I just need something to eat. There's no, there's no qualification here. But you know it. So do I. I wouldn't recommend talking to my kids after the service, okay? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not an invitation, K-team. <laughs> Others as yourself. There's, there's, there's no exception, no matter if you, they hurt you or you think they deserve that love. Ugh. Everyone in here, I would bet, has been hurt by someone else. That person's included here. And notice this. Some of you may read this, and let's just clear this up. Some of you may read this and be like, oh, sweet, this is great. Jesus commands me to love myself more. Because if I love myself, then I'll be able to love others more. This is wonderful, great news. Everyone say, not what he's saying. Jesus is not commanding us to love ourselves more so we can love others more. Do you notice the assumption here? Christ assumes we're loving ourselves just fine. There's no command ever to love yourself more in the Bible. It's just not in the book. He's assuming you're doing a great job of that already. It means we are to measure our love for others by what we would wish for ourselves. And we have a responsibility as God's people to seek the greatest and highest good of others, even if we don't feel like it. You see what real love is? Eyes up here. Real love is a God-empowered choice. And how does this world so often say, well, oh, you're just not feeling in love anymore. Listen, listen. Okay, okay, I don't have to say anything else. You got it. You got it. It's a God-empowered, spirit-empowered choice. And for believers, if you're saved here and follow, a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus upped the bar for us. He upped this bar in John 13, 34 to 35. It moves away from love your neighbor as yourself to this. Jesus says, upper room, a new commandment I give to you, disciples. He's with his disciples in the upper room. Love one another. What? As yourself? No. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Just leave it there. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He literally laid his life down. To the point of death. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here, this is the upped bar on this command. Why? Go to the next verse 35. Because by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see what's at stake? Our witness. See what's at stake? Eyes up here. The mission. To make disciples. The mission is at stake. Hey, question. Do you think the world would notice a love like this? Just be honest. Do you think the world would notice if they saw the people of God living this way and not shredding each other but loving each other? Think they would? Jesus promises they will. He promises they will in this world that is filled with anger and conflict and devouring and brutality and confusion and mistrust and despair. You see, a Christ-empowered love for one another church is one of the greatest apologetics for the gospel in our day. One of the greatest defenses for the gospel is the love that we have for one another and for our neighbor as ourselves. A love that says this, 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see it on here. A love that says, I will choose by faith, strong and courageous faith, to be patient with you and not harsh right now. I will choose by the power of the Lord to be kind and not hurt you in this moment when everything in me wants to retaliate and get defensive. I will choose by the power of Christ to not envy you, but to bless you. To not want what you have or the position you've been given, but to bless you in that. I will choose This love says, I will choose not to boast, but to walk in humility when I want the glory. It says, I will choose to not be arrogant, but I will choose to encourage you and put you first. It says, I will choose. This love says, I will choose by faith in the Son of God with all the strength he can give to not be rude to you, but to honor you. Even if it never came back, I'm going to choose to not insist on my own way, but to consider your interests above my own. That's what the Jesus way does. I will choose to not be irritable but to be gentle because love is gentle as our savior is. I will choose. It's a love that says I will choose to not be resentful, not to slander you or gossip you, but to forgive you for when you hurt and you might be sitting here and I don't know how deep the pain goes. Many of you don't know how deep it goes in my life. but I I, I just want to encourage you in this. You might be saying, you don't know what I've been through. I don't know what all of you have been through, but I do know this. I do know there's a gospel for that. There's a gospel for that. A gospel that brings healing, a gospel that brings reconciliation. Even if no closure comes in this world, it's on the way in eternity. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, it's on the way. But there's a gospel for that. It's a love that does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It will not laugh at sin, but it rejoices in the truth. It is a love that chooses to bear all things and care for you and not cancel you out when things get hard. What is this cancel culture in this world? It is completely anti-God. The body of Christ does not cancel each other out. And we don't cancel out the lost. I will choose. It's a love that chooses to believe all things. That means to believe the best about you, even when it's really hard. 
to believe the best. This is the Jesus way. It's a love that says, I will choose to hope all things. That means to hope for the best for you and not wish ill on you. And it endures all things. Why, 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 why is this so important? Jesus lays this down because the, we can do this because the measure of my love towards you, listen, listen very carefully, the measure of my love towards you is not based on what you have done to me, but based on what Jesus has done for me. I'm gonna say that one more time. We need to take that to the bank and lock it in our hearts. I can do this in the power of the gospel because the measure of my love for you is not based on what you've done to me, as painful as it can be. But it's based on what Jesus has done for me on that cross taking the penalty for my sin and forgiving me in the greatest act of love. This is why it takes strong and courageous faith in Jesus to love like Jesus. We can't do that without him. Jesus commands a constant affection for others. Church family, will you love them as yourself? Just look at 1 Corinthians 13. Put it back. It's on there. Good. What is the next step for you in loving others as yourself? That person, that group of people, that step of reconciliation you need to take, the forgiveness you need to extend, the humility you need to bow the knee for, the repentance. What is the next step to loving others as yourself? This is how the world will know we are his. The mission's at stake. God's glory is at stake. The motive for our mission must be love for God above all, for others as ourself. And here it is. Why? Because faithfulness depends on it. We land the plane with this. Faithfulness depends on it. Only God, if you haven't realized it by now, let me make it absolutely clear. Only God has the power to love like this. Can we agree? Only God has the power to love. You and I can't muster this up. We have no chance. Will you depend on Jesus for it? See, verse 40. Look at his, look at his words. On these two commands, depend everything. All the law and all the prophets. The word depend there means to hang upon. All the commands are here and they're hanging on a love for God and a love for your neighbor as yourself. Everything flows from it. And if we are to stay faithful on mission and see Jesus glorified and his kingdom advance, it has to come from these two commands being increasingly fulfilled. Without faithfulness in love, there is no faithfulness on mission. It doesn't exist. Just look at verse 40, you'll see it. It doesn't exist. And you may say this, at least I hope you're saying this, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. Can I encourage you? Hope Ottawa, look at the screen, look at the screen. Write it down. God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. Yeah, that's the gospel. God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. God has not left us on our own. Remember I said, I am with you always to the end of the age? He's not left us on our own. He saw us in our sin. And in the greatest act of love of all time, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Paying the penalty for our sin that separates us from him, Jesus died and rose again and made his power through the Holy Spirit available to all who've repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. And you want to hear something mind-blowing? You want to hear something mind-blowing as we finish off? Mind-blowing. Jesus did the impossible and perfectly fulfilled these two commands every second of his life. From the time he was born to the time he died, all 33 years, every second was an expression of his love to the Father. Does that encourage you right now? That is our Savior who has gone before us. He fulfilled the command to love God above all, love others as yourself because he knew that everything depended on it. If he failed even once, salvation wouldn't happen. This is why he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to abolish the law. No, I'm not negating the law. 
I'm not abolishing it. I came to fulfill them. He fulfilled all the law and the prophets. Only God has the power to love like this. Church, question facing us, will you depend on him for it? Will you choose the Jesus way? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you're like, I'm going to explore a few different ways to get to God. You are going to run into a dead end every time. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if maybe you're here and you're, and you're going through the motions. You're just serving, but your heart is cold for a love for the Lord. Or maybe you're trying like the Pharisees to earn your way into God's love. Just be a better person into eternal life. And can I just in love say this, eyes up? You have no hope of doing that. There is no hope in that. It is a dead end. God wants your heart over your hands. And Jesus shed his blood for you. Because he loves you. Will you come and turn to him? Will you stop striving and repent and confess him as Lord? And believers... Challenge for us, big idea, you'll see it right here. To stay faithful on mission, our motive must be love, brothers and sisters. Can't get around it. Two questions. Where is your heart grown cold in your love for Jesus above all? Where are you delaying obedience? Repent and get it. Get after it. What has taken his place? And secondly, second question, what specific acts of love can you display towards your brothers and sisters in this church? First, giving of your time, your talent, your treasure, considering the interests of others and the needs in the church, forgiving, humbling yourself and reconciling them, maybe even during the last song tonight. You just go right over to them right now. This is Jesus's reputation above yours. Where do you need to start believing the best about that person? Hey, loved one, Jesus knows it's hard. That's why he came and did it perfectly. And then how about to the lost that God has intentionally put around you? How can you love them as yourself? In your witness, in your service to them, in your prayers for them. See, in Christ, it's not about our perfection. It's never been about our perfection, but about our affection and our perseverance in his power through dependence on the Spirit. He will fulfill his mission through love in us and through us. And he says in 1 John 4, 19, you can love them. You can love me and love them because I first loved you. And by this love, all people will know we are his. The question is, will you choose the Jesus way? Let's pray. Jesus, you are our king. And we are your church. And I confess, I stand before this precious church tonight completely incapable of loving like this without you. Will you, will you help us love you more? Will you please? And loved ones, I don't know what's going on in the hearts of each person here tonight. But I encourage you right now in this moment, based on the authority of God's word we just heard, what do you need to cast on the Lord? The lack of love, the not believing the best, the unforgiveness, the rudeness, the harshness. What do you need just to get right? Right now, it's between you and the Lord. He says, I see it. I know it's hard, loved one. That's why I came. You don't have to hold on to that. I'm ready to refresh you in my presence. I'm ready to heal you. I'm ready to save you. But you got to come to me. I'm ready to empower you to choose me in my way, which is the way that leads to life, the way of love. Lord, help us to love you more. And as we prepare to respond right now, I want you to feel free, church, to 
stay in your seat if you would like and do business with the Lord. This song is called, I Choose the Jesus Way. And God help us if it's ever just words on a screen that we sing. But pray, Lord, press this in me is the reality of my heart. I need you. And if you want to stand, let's stand. You want to stay seated, then stay seated. But let's make this our declaration, our conviction, that we will choose the Jesus way. Let's respond, worship team.